0: Chapter 7 of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron White. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter 7 The Wallering Peculiarities of Buffalo Bulls. The First Buffalo Hunt and Its Consequences. Crusoe comes to the rescue, Pawnees discovered, a monster buffalo hunt, Joe acts the part of Ambassador. Fortunately, the day that succeeded the dreary night described in the last chapter was warm and magnificent. The sun rose in a blaze of splendor and filled the atmosphere with steam from the moist earth. The unfortunates in the wet camp were not slow to avail themselves of his cheering rays. They hung up everything on the bushes to dry, and by dint of extreme patience, and cutting out of the comparatively dry hearts of several pieces of wood, they lighted a fire, and boiled some rain water, which was soon converted into soup. This, and the exercise necessary for the performance of these several duties, warmed and partially dried them, so that when they once more mounted their steeds and rode away, they were in a state of comparative comfort, and in excellent spirits. The only annoyance was the clouds of mosquitoes and large flies that assailed men and horses whenever they checked their speed. "'I tell you what it is,' said Joe Blunt one fine morning about a week after they had begun to cross the prairie. "'It's my opinion that we'll come on buffalo soon. Them tracks are fresh, and yonder's one of their wallers that been used not long agone.' "'I'll go have a look at it,' cried Dick, trotting away as he spoke." everything in these vast prairies was new to dick varley and he was kept in a constant state of excitement during the first week or two of his journey it is true that he was quite familiar with the names and habits of all the animals that dwelt there for many a time and oft had he listened to the yarns of the hunters and trappers of the mustang valley when they returned laden with rich furs from their periodical hunting expeditions but this knowledge of his only served to whet his curiosity and his desire to see the denizens of the prairies with his own eyes, and now that his wish was accomplished, it greatly increased the pleasures of his journey. Dick had just reached the wallow referred to by Joe Blunt, and had reined up a steed to observe it leisurely, when a faint hissing sound reached his ear looking quickly back he observed his two companions crouching on the necks of their horses and slowly descending into a hollow of the prairie in front of them as if they wished to bring the rising ground between them and some object in advance dick instantly followed their example and was soon at their heels you needn't look at the waller whispered joe for at the other side of the ridge there's a bull waller in you don't mean it exclaimed Dick, as they all dismounted and picketed their horses to the plain. "'Hui!' said Henri, tumbling off his horse, while a broad grin overspread his good-natured countenance. "'It is one fact. One buffalo bull be wallerin' like an enormous og. Also there be thousands of buffaloes farther on. Can you trust your dog, keep him back?' inquired Joe, with a dubious glance at Crusoe. "'Trust him? Aye, I wish I was as sure of myself.' Look to your priming, then, and we'll have tongues and marrow-bones for supper tonight, I as warrant. Hist, down on your knees and go softly. We might a run them down on horseback, but it's bad to wind your beasts on a trip like this if you can help it, and it's about as easy to stalk em Leastways we'll try. Lift your head slowly, Dick, and don't show more nor the half-foot above the ridge dick elevated his head as directed and the scene that met his view was indeed well calculated to send an electric shock to the heart of an ardent sportsman the vast plain beyond was absolutely blackened with countless herds of buffaloes which were browsing on the rich grass they were still so far distant that their bellowing and the trampling of their myriad hoofs only reached the hunters like a faint murmur on the breeze in the immediate foreground however there was a group of about half a dozen buffalo cows feeding quietly and in the midst of them an enormous old bull was enjoying himself in his wallow the animals towards which our hunters now crept with murderous intent are the fiercest and most ponderous of the ruminating inhabitants of the western wilderness the name of buffalo however is not correct the animal is the bison and bears no resemblance whatever to the buffalo proper but as the hunters of the far west and indeed travellers generally have adopted the misnomer we bow to the authority of custom and adopt it too buffaloes roam in countless thousands all over the north american prairies from the hudson bay territories north of canada to the shores of the gulf of mexico the advance of white men to the west has driven them to the prairies between the missouri and the rocky mountains and has somewhat diminished their numbers but even thus diminished they are still innumerable in the more distant plains. Their color is dark brown, but it varies a good deal with the seasons. The hair or fur, from its great length in winter and spring and exposure to the weather, turns quite light, but when the winter coat is shed off, the new growth is a beautiful dark brown, almost approaching to jet black. In form, the buffalo somewhat resembles the ox, but its head and shoulders are much larger and are covered with a profusion of long shaggy hair, which adds greatly to the fierce aspect of the animal. It has a large hump on the shoulder, and its forequarters are much larger in proportion than the hindquarters. The horns are short and thick, the hooves are cloven, and the tail is short with a tuft of hair at the extremity it is scarcely possible to conceive a wilder or more ferocious and terrible monster than a buffalo bull he often grows to the enormous weight of two thousand pounds his lion-like mane falls in shaggy confusion over his head and shoulders down to the ground when he is wounded he becomes imbued with the spirit of a tiger he stamps bellows roars and foams forth his rage with glaring eyes and steaming nostrils and charges furiously at man and horse with utter recklessness fortunately however he is not naturally pugnacious and can be easily thrown into a sudden panic moreover the peculiar position of his eye renders this creature not so terrible as he would otherwise be to the hunter owing to the stiff structure of the neck and the sunken downward-looking eyeball the buffalo cannot without an effort see beyond the direct line of vision presented to the habitual carriage of his head when therefore he is wounded and charges he does so in a straight line so that his pursuer can leap easily out of his way The pace of the buffalo is clumsy and apparently slow. Yet when chased, he dashes away over the plains in blind, blundering terror at a rate that leaves all but good horses far behind. He cannot keep the pace up, however, and is usually soon overtaken. Were the buffalo capable of the same alert and agile motions of head and eye peculiar to the deer or wild horse, in addition to his bovine rage, he would be the most formidable brute on earth, there is no object perhaps so terrible as the headlong advance of a herd of these animals when thoroughly aroused by terror they care not for their necks all danger in front is forgotten or not seen in the terror of that from which they fly no thundering cataract is more tremendously irresistible than the black bellowing torrent which sometimes pours through the narrow defiles of the rocky mountains or sweeps like a roaring flood over the trembling plains The wallowing, to which we have referred, is a luxury usually indulged in during the hot months of summer, when the buffaloes are tormented by flies and heat and drought. At this season they seek the low grounds in the prairies, where there is a little stagnant water lying amongst the grass and the ground underneath being saturated is soft. The leader of the herd, a shaggy old bull, usually takes upon himself to prepare the wallow it was a rugged monster of the largest size that did so on the present occasion to the intense delight of dick varley who begged joe to lie still and watch the operation before trying to shoot one of the buffalo cows joe consented with a nod and the four spectators for crusoe was as much taken up with the proceedings as any of them crouched in the grass and looked on coming up to the swampy spot the old bull gave a grunt of satisfaction and going down on one knee plunged his short thick horns into the mud tore it up and cast it aside having repeated this several times he plunged his head in and brought it forth saturated with dirty water and bedaubed with lumps of mud through which his fierce eyes gazed with a ludicrous expression of astonishment straight in the direction of the hunters as if he meant to say i've done it that time and no mistake The other buffaloes seemed to think so, too, for they came up and looked on with an expression that seemed to say, "'Well done, old fellow. Try that again.' The old fellow did try it again, and again, and again, plunging and ramming and tearing up the earth until he formed an excavation large enough to contain his huge body. In this bath he laid himself comfortably down and began to roll and wallow about until he mixed up a trough full of thin soft mud which completely covered him when he came out of the hole there was scarcely an atom of his former self visible the coat of mud thus put on by bulls is usually permitted by them to dry and is not finally got rid of until long after when oft repeated rollings on the grass and washings by rain at length cleared away when the old bull vacated this delectable bath another bull scarcely if at all less ferocious looking stepped forward to take his turn But he was interrupted by a volley from the hunters, which scattered the animals right and left, and sent the mighty herds in the distance flying over the prairie in wild terror. The very turmoil of their own mad flight added to their panic, and the continuous thunder of their hooves was heard until the last of them disappeared on the horizon. The family party which had been fired at, however, did not escape so well. Joe's rifle wounded a fat young cow, and Dick Varley brought it down. Henri had done his best but as the animals were too far distant for his limited vision he missed the cow he had fired at and hit the young bull whose bath had been interrupted the others scattered and fled well done dick exclaimed joe blunt as they all ran up to the cow that had fallen your first shot at a buffalo was a good one come now and i'll show you how to cut it up and carry off the tit-bits oh mon dear old bull exclaimed Henri, gazing after the animal which he had wounded and which was now limping slowly away. "'You is not worth going after. Farewell. Adieu.' "'He'll be tough enough, I warrant,' said Joe. "'And we've more meat here nor we can lift. "'But wouldn't it be as well to put the poor brood out of pain?' suggested Dick. "'Oh, he'll die soon enough,' replied Joe, tucking up his sleeves and drawing his long hunting-knife dick however was not satisfied with this way of looking at it saying that he would be back in a few minutes he reloaded his rifle and calling crusoe to his side walked quickly after the wounded bull which was now hid from view in a hollow of the plain in a few minutes he came in sight of it and ran forward with his rifle in readiness "Damn, crusoe he whispered wait for me here crusoe crouched in the grass instantly and dick advanced as he came on, the bull observed him, and turned round, bellowing with rage and pain to receive him. The aspect of the brute on a near view was so terrible that Dick involuntarily stopped too, and gazed with a mingled feeling of wonder and awe, while it bristled with passion, and blood-streaked foam dropped from its open jaws, and its eyes glared furiously. Seeing that Dick did not advance, the bull charged him with a terrific roar, but the youth had firm nerves, and although the rush of such a savage creature at full speed was calculated to try the courage of any man, especially one who had never seen a buffalo bull before, Dick did not lose presence of mind. He remembered the many stories he had listened to of this very thing that was now happening. So, crushing down his excitement as well as he could, he cocked his rifle and awaited the charge." he knew that it was of no use to fire at the head of the advancing foe as the thickness of the skull together with the matted hair on the forehead rendered it impervious to a bullet when the bull was within a yard of him he leaped lightly to one side and it passed just as it did so dick aimed at its heart and fired But his knowledge of the creature's anatomy was not yet correct. The ball entered the shoulder too high, and the bull, checking himself as well as he could in his headlong rush, turned round and made at Dick again. The failure, coupled with the excitement, proved too much for Dick. He could not resist discharging his second barrel at the brute's head as it came on. He might as well have fired at a brick wall. It shook its shaggy front, and with a hideous bellow thundered forward again dick sprang to one side but in doing so a tuft of grass or stone caught his foot and he fell heavily to the ground up to this point crusoe's admirable training had nailed him to the spot where he had been left although the twitching of every fibre in his body and a low continuous whine showed how gladly he would have hailed permission to join in the combat but the instant he saw his master down the buffalo turning to charge again He sprang forward with a roar that would have done credit to his bovine enemy, and seized him by the nose. So vigorous was the rush that he well-nigh pulled the bull down on its side. One toss of its head, however, sent Crusoe high into the air, but it accomplished this feat at the expense of its nose, which was torn and lacerated by the dog's teeth. Scarcely had Crusoe touched the ground, which he did with a sounding thump, than he sprang up and flew at his adversary again this time however he adopted the plan of barking furiously and biting by rapid yet terrible snaps as he found opportunity thus keeping the bull entirely engrossed and affording dick an opportunity of reloading his rifle which he was not slow to do dick then stepped close up and while the two combatants were roaring in each other's faces he shot the buffalo through the heart it fell to the earth with a deep groan Crusoe's rage instantly vanished on beholding this, and he seemed to be filled with a tumultuous joy at his master's escape, for he gambled round him and whined and fawned upon him in a manner that could not be misunderstood. Good dog thank ye, my pup, said Dick, patting Crusoe's head as he stooped to brush the dust from his leggings. I don't know what would have become of me but for your help, Crusoe Crusoe turned his head a little to one side, wagged his tail, and looked at Dick with an expression that said quite plainly, I'd die for you, I would, not once or twice, but ten times, fifty times if need be, and that not merely to save your life, but even to please you. There is no doubt whatever that Crusoe felt something of this sort. The love of a Newfoundland dog to its master is beyond calculation or expression. He who once gained such love carries the dog's life in his hand but let him who reads note well and remember that there is only one coin that can purchase such love and that is kindness the coin too must be genuine kindness merely expressed will not do it must be felt Oh, boy ye been in the wars exclaimed joe raising himself from his task as dick and crusoe returned (laughs) you look more like it than i do retorted dick laughing This was true, for cutting up a buffalo carcass with no other instrument than a large knife is no easy matter. Yet Western hunters and Indians can do it without cleaver or saw in a way that would surprise a civilized butcher not a little. Joe was covered with blood up to his elbows. His hair, happening to have a knack of getting into his eyes, had been so often brushed off with bloody hands that his whole visage was speckled with gore, and his dress was by no means immaculate while dick related his adventure or misadventure with the bull joe and henri completed the cutting out of the most delicate portions of the buffalo namely the hump on its shoulder which is a choice piece much finer than the best beef and the tongue and a few other parts the tongues of buffaloes are superior to those of domestic cattle when all was ready the meat was slung across the back of the pack-horse and the party remounting their horses continued their journey "'having first cleansed themselves as well as they could "'in the rather dirty waters of an old wallow. "'See,' si, said Henri, turning to Dick and pointing to a circular spot of green "'as they rode along, "'that is one old drywaller.' "'Aye,' remarked Joe, "'after the waller dries it becomes a ring of greener grass "'than the rest of the plain, as you see.' "'Tis said, the first hunters used to wonder greatly at these mysterious circles, "'and they invented all sorts of stories to account for them. "'Some said they was fairy rings, but at last they come to know "'they was nothing more nor less than the places where buffaloes was used to in. "'It's often seemed to me that if we knowed the raisins of things, "'we wouldn't be so much puzzled with them as we are.' The truth of this last remark was so self-evident and incontrovertible that it elicited no reply, and the three friends rode on for a considerable time in silence. It was now past noon, and they were thinking of calling a halt for a short rest to the horses and a pipe to themselves, when Joe was heard to give vent to one of those peculiar hisses that always accompanied either a surprise or a caution. In the present case it indicated both. "'What now, Joe?' injuns ejaculated joe eh fat you say oo is dey crusoe at this moment uttered a low growl ever since the day he had been partially roasted he had maintained a rooted antipathy to red men joe immediately dismounted and placing his ear to the ground listened intently It is a curious fact that by placing the ear close to the ground sounds can be heard distinctly which could not be heard at all if the listener were to maintain an erect position they're after the buffalo said joe rising and i think it's likely they're a band of pawnees listen and you'll hear their shouts quite plain dick and henri immediately lay down and placed their ears to the ground now me hear nothing "'said Henri, jumping up. "'But me ear is like me eyes, ver short-sighted. "'I do hear something,' said Dick as he got up. "'But the beating of my own heart makes row enough to spoil my hearing.' Joe Blunt smiled. "'Ah, lad, you're young and your blood's too hot yet. "'But bide a bit. "'You'll cool down soon. "'I was like you once. "'Now, lads, what think ye we should do?' Oh, you know best, Joe. We, oui, no doubtedly. "'Then what I advise is that we gallop to the broken sand hillocks you see yonder, "'get behind them, and take a peep at the redskins. "'If they are pawnees, we'll go up to them at once. "'If not, we'll hold a council of war on the spot.' "'Having arranged this, they mounted and hastened toward the hillocks in question, "'which they reached after ten minutes' gallop at full stretch.' the sandy mounds afforded them concealment and enabled them to watch the proceedings of the savages in the plain below the scene was the most curious and exciting that can be conceived the centre of the plain before them was crowded with hundreds of buffaloes which were dashing about in the most frantic state of alarm to whatever point they galloped they were met by yelling savages on horseback who could not have been fewer in numbers than a thousand all being armed with lance bow and quiver and mounted on active little horses the indians had completely surrounded the herd of buffaloes and were now advancing steadily towards them gradually narrowing the circle and whenever the terrified animals endeavoured to break through the line they rushed to that particular spot in a body and scared them back again into the centre Thus they advanced until they closed in on their prey and formed an unbroken circle round them, whilst the poor brutes kept eddying and surging to and fro in a confused mass, hooking and climbing upon each other and bellowing furiously. Suddenly the horsemen made a rush, and the work of destruction began. The tremendous turmoil raised a cloud of dust that obscured the field in some places and hid it from our hunter's view some of the indians galloped round and round the circle sending their arrows whizzing up to the feathers in the sides of the fattest cows others dashed fearlessly into the midst of the black heaving mass and with their long lances pierced dozens of them to the heart in many instances the buffaloes infuriated by wounds turned fiercely on their assailants and gored the horses to death in which cases the men had to trust to their nimble legs for safety sometimes a horse got jammed in the centre of the swaying mass and could neither advance nor retreat then the savage rider leaped upon the buffalo's backs and springing from one to another like an acrobat gained the outer edge of the circle not failing however in his strange flight to pierce with his lance several of the fattest of his stepping-stones as he sped along A few of the herd succeeded in escaping from the blood and dust of this desperate battle, and made off over the plains, but they were quickly overtaken, and the lance or the arrow brought them down on the green turf. Many of the dismounted riders were chased by bulls, but they stepped lightly to one side, and as the animals passed drove their arrows deep into their sides. Thus the tumultuous war went on, amid thundering tread and yell and bellow, till the green plain was transformed into a sea of blood and mire, and every buffalo of the herd was laid low. It is not to be supposed that such reckless warfare is invariably waged without damage to the savages. Many were the wounds and bruises received that day, and not a few bones were broken. But happily no lives were lost. Now, lads, now's our time. A bold and fearless looks the best at all times. Don't look as if you doubted their friendship. And mind, whatever you do, don't use your arms. Follow me. Saying this, Joe Blunt leaped on his horse and, bounding over the ridge at full speed, galloped headlong across the plain the savages observed the strangers instantly and a loud yell announced the fact as they assembled from all parts of the field brandishing their bows and spears joe's quick eyes soon distinguished their chief towards whom he galloped still at full speed till within a yard or two of his horse's head then he reined up suddenly so rapidly did joe and his comrades approach and so instantaneously did they pull up that their steeds were thrown almost on their haunches the indian chief did not move a muscle he was a tall powerful savage almost naked and mounted on a coal-black charger which he set with the ease of a man accustomed to ride from infancy he was indeed a splendid-looking savage but his face wore a dark frown for although he and his band had visited the settlements and trafficked with the fur-traders on the missouri he did not love the pale-faces whom he regarded as intruders on the hunting-grounds of his fathers and the peace that existed between them at the time was of a very fragile character indeed it was deemed by the travellers impossible to travel through the indian country at that period except in strong force and it was the very boldness of the present attempt that secured to our hunters anything like a civil reception Joe, who could speak the Pawnee tongue fluently, began by explaining the object of his visit, and spoke of the presents which he had brought for the great chief. But it was evident that his words made little impression. As he discoursed to them, the savages crowded round the little party, and began to handle and examine their dresses and weapons with a degree of rudeness that caused Joe considerable anxiety. Matawa believes that the heart of the pale face is true, said the savage when joe paused but he does not choose to make peace the pale faces are grasping they never rest they turn their eyes to the great mountains and say there we will stop but even there they will not stop they are never satisfied matawa knows them well this speech sank like a death knell into the hearts of the hunters for they knew that if the savages refused to make peace They would scalp them all and appropriate their goods. To make things worse, a dark-visaged Indian suddenly caught hold of Henri's rifle, and ere he was aware had plucked it from his hand. The blood rushed to the gigantic hunter's forehead, and he was on the point of springing at the man when Joe said in a deep, quiet voice, Be still, Henri. You will but hasten death at this moment there was a movement in the outskirts of the circle of horsemen and another chief rode into the midst of them he was evidently higher in rank than matawa for he spoke authoritatively to the crowd and stepped in before him the hunters drew little comfort from the appearance of his face however for it scowled upon them he was not so powerful a man as matawa but he was more gracefully formed and had a more noble and commanding countenance have the pale-faces no wigwams on the great river that they should come to spy out the lands of the pawnee he demanded we have not come to spy your country answered joe raising himself proudly as he spoke and taking off his cap we have come with a message from the great chief of the pale-faces who lives in the village far beyond the great river where the sun rises he says why should the pale-face and the red man fight. They are brothers. The same manito watches over both. The palefaces have more beads and guns and blankets and knives and vermilion than they require. They wish to give some of these things for the skins and furs which the red man does not know what to do with. The great chief of the pale faces has sent me to say, Why should we fight? Let us smoke the pipe of peace. Footnote Manito, the Indian name for God. At the mention of beads and blankets, the face of the wily chief brightened for a moment. Then he said sternly, The heart of the pale face is not true. He has come here to trade for himself. Sanitsarish has eyes that can see. They are not shut. Are not these your goods? The chief pointed to the pack horse as he spoke. Trappers do not take their goods into the heart of an enemy's camp, returned Joe. "'Sanit Sarish is wise and will understand this. "'These are gifts to the chief of the Pawnees. "'There are more awaiting him when the pipe of peace is smoked. "'I have said, "'What message shall we take back to the great chief of the Pale Faces?' "'Sanit Sarish was evidently mollified. "'The hunting field is not the council tent,' he said. "'The Pale Faces will go with us to our village.' "'Of course Joe was too glad to agree to this proposal, "'but he now deemed it politic to display a little firmness. Uh, "'We cannot go till our rifle is restored. "'It will not do to go back and tell the great chief of the pale-faces "'that the Pawnees are thieves.' "'The chief frowned angrily. "'The Pawnees are true. They are not thieves. "'They choose to look at the rifle of the pale-face. "'It shall be returned.' the rifle was instantly restored and then our hunters rode off with the indians towards their camp on the way they met hundreds of women and children going to the scene of the great hunt for it was their special duty to cut up the meat and carry it into camp the men considering that they had done quite enough in killing it returned to smoke and eat away the fatigues of the chase as they rode along dick varley observed that some of the braves as indian warriors are styled were eating pieces of the bloody livers of the buffaloes in a raw state, at which he expressed not a little disgust. "'Ah, boy, you're green yet,' remarked Joe Blunt in an undertone. "'Mayhap you'll be thankful to do that same yourself some day.' "'Well, I'll not refuse to try when it is needful,' said Dick with a laugh. "'Meanwhile, I'm content to see the Redskins do it, Joe Blunt.'" End of chapter 7. Recording by Aaron White